Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all-important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. Andrew Shelley is known to many as Mr. Squash. Having been involved in the game for the last 43 years, he's about to leave his role as CEO of the World Squash Federation. Previously, Andrew has held roles heading up the British game, the World Women's Tour, as well as tournament director for the British Open, the Wimbledon of Squash for 18 years, and the Commonwealth Games since its inclusion in 1998. Hugely passionate about the game and integral to its international growth, Andrew has taken squash to all corners of the globe, including, for the best part of two decades, the ambassador's programme he conceived and ran where he sought to develop the game in new markets from Papua New Guinea to El Salvador, the most northern and southern squash courts in the world. Wow, that's quite an achievement. So, with great pleasure, I'm going to introduce somebody who is known to me kind of indirectly, but it's a great privilege to meet him for the first time and fascinating to find out all about what he's been up to for the past 43 years, which is extraordinary. Our guest today, Andrew Shelley. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to have you. So, Mr. Squash, uh, that's not a, Har- a Roger Hargreaves character, is it? Like no. Mr. Happy? No, well, I, I spent 15 years as Mrs. Squash, not through an operation, but I ran the women's tour. So, they made me an honourable, an honorary woman, which was a pleasant award to re- receive. Okay, we'll, we'll part that one for a minute. Don't yep. want to know any more about that. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, you have achieved you're probably one of the most long-standing servants of any sport, it would be fair to say. 43 years is extraordinary. Yeah, um, 43 years ago, I um, saw a job advertised for the England squash running membership events, etc., because I happened to be working for a, a sponsor and saw it advertised in a magazine. I'd played squash at least six times by then. And I thought, well, if I get this, I would love to do it for a couple of years, then get a proper job. Well, I've simply never got a proper job. That's that's my, been my life. Wow. Um, and what what's next then? Have you got plans? Are, are you, you can't retire. Too young to retire. No, no, I'm not retiring. But um, uh, for the next several months, probably I shall be part-time supporting the World Squash Federation during the transition period. I'm looking for other part-time, possibly even full-time work, but I'm also going to start on my passion, which is to develop a World Squash Library, which will ensure that all the books, publications, films from bygone years, and obviously up to date, mm. are available for future generations. So it's not, it's not a business, it's purely to ensure that we have that resource. And I'm also hoping that somebody in a few years' time will build upon that for a squash museum. Yeah, sports have their museums. But one thing at a time, my next five years will include a World Squash Library. Wow, that is amazing. How do you think, Andrew, working in a, let's call it a niche sport, I don't want to yeah. be disrespectful and call squash a, a, a smaller sport or, or less important than any other, but how do you think um, working in a niche sport like squash differs from maybe working in a, in a more recognised sport? Well, uh, recognised wouldn't be the right word because we are a worldwide sport played in 185 countries on 50,000 courts. 
that's the sort of information we give the IOC when when they tell us we still can't get in the Olympics. <laughs> but uh, it's it's a sport where the profile is not high in a lot of countries because TV, other forms of broadcast, are not that strong. It's not an it's not an easy sport to to film. It's done very successfully now through Squash TV, which is the sport's own production company run by the, the tour. But we have to recognise it has got limitations, but it's a sport loved to be played by millions around the world. And and that that is the, the priority that more and more have the opportunity of, of taking that sort of exercise in what Forbes magazine dubbed as the most... Uh, uh, athletic sport in the world. Mm. I remember watching loads of squash as a, as a child, mm. um, and it seemed to be very popular on television. Is it about you know money talking now? Why why is it? Because it's it's more popular now than it was then. So why are we not seeing more of it? Well, squash is uh, what one would term a traditional sport. There are so many other sports activities and and so forth that are available to people and available to broadcasters that. Squash, because it tends not to be watched by people who haven't played or do play because of the nature of the sport, suffers in, in that respect. You know, if, if I use the example of a Martian landing on Earth, if you want to explain sport to them, the best sport in the world is, is show jumping because you've only got to say the horse has to clear the fence without hitting it. Mm. Simple as that. Squash has all the intricacies of, of a sport in the same way as many other sports do. When it comes to minority sports, such as football and, and cricket and so nicely forth, put, yeah. nicely put. <laughs> um, they, because of the tradition of knowledge from schools and everything else, people know the rules. They might not be clear of the offside rule in football, but you know you've got to hit the ball in the goal. Mm. Squash will will suffer from that. Although, of course, with a flourishing professional tour and uh, growth in various countries around the world, we're overcoming it. Were you always, le- were you always driven to, to play the game and lead uh, the, the game in terms of its growth over this period of time that you've served? No, I mean, I've never, I've never been driven to, to lead anything. I don't even lead in my own home. But, but what I do is, is administer. And when you... And you called it a, a, a niche sport. I'll call it a small, smaller sport. It means that you tend to have to be able to do more than one thing in, in whatever role you have. And as a, as a general administrator, which is genu- genuinely what I am, I've tended to get to a position I have in very, very small organisations. If you take the women's tour, the staff was two. So... Mm. Yeah, it sounds very grand. I was CEO over the women's tour for fifteen years, but it wasn't a, a big staff. Mm. It was it was people around the world, of course, and the professional players. So, I'm I'm purely administrator. I happen to have been in a sport that uh, I loved it when I started playing, and I've had a passion for seeing it grow and succeed ever since. Mm. I've made two mental notes while I've been speaking. One is you're a very humble man, clearly, uh, because you very modestly suggest that you're an administrator. You've led a, a, a growing sport for a very long period of time. The second is you have a really, really good radio voice, far better than mine, so I'm not very happy about that. Anyway, um, squash, as you mentioned earlier, Andrew, it, it's failed to be selected for the Olympics, which is you know unfortunate. 
despite, I know, considerable effort from yourself and your colleagues, mm. is there anything with the benefit of hindsight you'd have done differently in terms of your bid to the, to the IOC? No, um, we've, we've essentially made four failed bids in, at each cycle. We, we were very close to selection for London, but the fact is, in, in 2005, when we were nearly selected, we weren't ready. The, the broadcast that I've mentioned had really only started effectively from 2010 onwards. Before that, what we used to do, the men's and women's tours, were take the footage from the local broadcaster and make a programme. So the quality was variable. From 2010 onwards, which would have been before 2012 Olympics, with, with the own Squash TV production, you've got the quality, the standardisation, the graphics, etc., etc., which has only been built upon since. You know, we are, we are a mainstream media sport, but the Olympics have had, the IOC have had other agendas always. And it's not actually based on ticking the boxes. We do tick all the boxes. It's based upon what's on their agenda at the time. Mm. So in 2013, they took out a sport to make way for a new sport. That was their policy. So they took out wrestling and the new sport they put in was wrestling. It's not necessarily logical. Um, we've, just, we've just been um, snubbed in favour of uh, breakdancing for Paris 2024. Well, breakdancing is, is an activity rather than a sport. Mm. We feel hard done by, but imagine how karate feel who have were the local selection for Japan but even before they've been uh, evaluated in, in Tokyo, they're now out of Paris 2024, whereas France, a second, second best country in the world with medals to be delivered to, to France, the, they dwarf us in terms of numbers of players. So we have to put ourselves in context. We, we really deserve a place on, in terms of being a, a proper, established, effective, worldwide, gender equal and all that sort of thing, sport. But we need to think again how to how we're going to bid. And, and bidding by actually making presentations and ticking the boxes is not going to be the answer. Governing bodies of, of sporting organisations baffle me. You take out wrestling to put in wrestling. Yeah. Anyway, that's a whole separate conversation. <laughs> so, Andrew, you, you know, started working in the game 43 years ago. That's a very, very long period mm. of time. I'm very interested, therefore, to understand how you have stayed as relevant as you have, because obviously different demographic now... Um, different coverage, mm. different money involved, there's agents, there's more money in the game, people have sure. been paid more. How have you stayed so relevant over such a extended period I, of time? I think it's just moving with the times. I mean, he, as recently as last year, I got rid of the pigeons from the loft. I actually use a phone now. But generally speaking, you, things don't happen in an instant. They happen over a period of time. And yeah, as long as, as long as you're taking an active role in society you do adapt now we all adapt in different ways and 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 in some ways better than others um you know i i go back to mid 90s when i was doing the women's tour the internet had come in and we agonized for probably three or four or five months about whether we should insist the girls had an email address to communicate because we'd been communicating by fax and mm -hmm. and, and so forth well, imagine that conversation now. But then it was it was totally relevant, and of course, we've you've seen in the last twenty years on an ongoing basis the change in consuming news and programming from 
TV and newspapers to all the other uh, options. But it doesn't happen in an instant. And we're, we're, we're being kept relevant in part through our players. And I'm not talking just professionals, but also local administrators as well and organisers. People want to be fresh and they, they force you to be fresh if you're not already thinking sometimes laterally, sometimes in just a different way. And sports management has taken on a life of its own. How has mm. that changed since you came into the game? Well, it, it, it's, it's changed in as much as the players are more aware of, of the opportunities and value, along with, of course, what they've always been aware of, that's a short career. So they're making making more use of it now. There's also, from a, a, a professional player point of view, more opportunities to earn money through endorsements and and appearances and so forth and and they they take that opportunity we meanwhile through the tours and all the work that everybody in the sport does are trying to make the living better because they are they are the showpiece of the sport the shop window but there's no point in being a shop window if the foundations are crumbling so mm. our responsibility is to make sure the sport itself is flourishing at club and development level mm. And in such a competitive sporting landscape, Andrew, how do you think the sport is set up to thrive in the future? And what foundations have you put in place to ensure that? Well, we we don't find it easy because there is not a lot of money washing around in in in, in sports such as squash. So you do you do your best, and you rely on local, national, regional, and world initiatives that will help development but i mean for example next week i go to kenya for the 20, 21st of the what is now the ambassadors program you mentioned it earlier it started off fun enough as the, as the women's tour initiative where we just took two players and we used to say well the world federation should be doing this so we should be taking a male a female a referee and a coach which is what we do now um but, but we can't be doing that every week of the year. We have a sponsor who funds the flights, the local local people, but it, but it inspires. And this is, you have to try and inspire. And the professional players through through what PSA, as, as the tour is known, do, what the nations try and do, we're all trying to inspire. But what we have to recognise is there's no point in having great marketing, sorry, uh, development initiatives for schools and even clubs if the image of the sport is wrong. Mm-hmm. And it needs people who understand image better than the administrators to really foster that. So it's it's a hand in hand affair. And I'm I'm picking up on something you mentioned earlier about the, the four failed bids. Hmm. In your role as CEO, you know it's not all plain sailing. No. Uh, you have moments where things are tough, where you're kind of up against it. How do you deal with uh, the day to day pressures, particularly over a sustained period of time? You know, is it hmm. your support network, the people around you? Is it get back to basics how do you deal with those day-to-day things when things aren't going well because more people seem to be interested in overcoming failure than dealing with success so yes um i mean i think the i think the first thing in in life is never to take yourself too seriously because once you've done that then everything in failure success and everything in between is more acute things don't always go right you have to accept that you also have to make sure that you're doing your best and that doesn't mean doing it all yourself you need to bring people in listen to them 
and then do what you think is right because eventually somebody has to take a decision. Yeah. But never, never just rely on yourself. You, know, you talk about staying relevant. Well, it's, it's all these other influences that you hear that help you stay, stay relevant. So it's, it's a combination for people. Mm. So, Andrew, you're stepping down as your role as yes. CEO after a considerable period of time. What advice would you give now, given what you said, to the person stepping into your into your role i th- i think it's it's very much to to be spontaneous to listen and learn first before before you jump try to try to work out who the best people are around you and make sure you you use them it's being being a a CEO of a of a company i'm sure or, or an organization as i am it's not a popularity contest it's about trying your best for the organization you know i'm employed by world squash not to be somebody who's necessarily liked but somebody who's doing the best possible job for world squash and it's the same in any organization you can you can it's all you can do politics will be an issue for everybody because if you have two people in a room there's politics and in an organization it's the same but if you can if you can cut through that as far as possible and, and stick to principles and stick to your principles, you've got a greater st- chance of staying and sticking. Well, whoever takes over from you has got some big shoes to fill. You've, because you've clearly been very successful, Andrew, to get to the top of a sport. I mean, that takes some doing in the first instance, but to do it as consistently as you have is remarkable. Are there any routines or approaches you adopt day to day in your working life that you think have contributed to that success? I, I, I think if everybody's different. My my work routine, which might might be termed workaholic, is is what I'm happy with and what I'm comfortable with, and also on my own terms. You know, if I if I if I want to take an hour off to play squash, I'll take an hour off to play squash because I'm I'm not on a nine to five job. But if you're committed you're going to be available. Sport is not like a nine-to-five business. So you come into it knowing that it is 24-7 every day of the year if you want it to be. But it's, it's what you're comfortable with. Um, I, I used to, right until 2010, not even have a mobile phone because I didn't need one as far as I was concerned. Everybody else, the whole women's tour felt I needed one. But... I was on the end of the office phone. I was on the end of email morning, noon and night. What did I need a mobile phone for? That, that was archaic, but it, but it actually gave me the discipline and then the discipline to know they could always contact me, mm. but on my terms. I would, Of course, I wouldn't do that now. And as soon as I started working for the WSF, because it was a different form of work, I have a, I have a mobile. I even know how to use it generally speaking. As well as having but, an annoyingly good voice, you've also physically, I mean, there's not an ounce of fat on you, Andrew. You're, you're a great well, advert for the game of squash, if, I've got to say. If this wasn't radio, I could show you my one pack. <laughs> that's, that's one more than me. <laughs> but um, what's the, over those 43 years then, what, are there any highlights? I mean, there must be highlights, but what's the one standout if there is a standout? I, I can't actually say that there is is one specific highlight, but... In terms of change, it has been huge for the sport. For people who who don't know squash, perhaps what I'm going to say now is they might not fully appreciate, but we went from what are called glass back 
courts, which was just a glass mm. wall at the back. And They're the rock walls I remember watching. Yeah, mm-hmm. to, to all glass courts, to coloured floors, to coloured balls, to starting leagues, to, to playing events outside at the pyramids and other places around the world. Uh, for me personally, the opportunity to meet so many people in so many countries, not just the, the Whisper Promotional Stroke WSF Ambassadors programs, but at events... You see cultures. It's it's been a very fulfilling life. Has anyone so far? <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> still early days. Uh, has anyone look? You've clearly inspired lots and lots of people, Andrew, along the way. Has anyone really inspired you? Stand out? Yeah, everybody in squash inspires me to a greater, lesser level. But there are so many passionate people, and I and I see it at international conventions and what have you with other 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 sports and other people but squash is special people are passionate about their sport in every way and they give to the sport so i i go back to manchester every year when they have um the the british nationals there and 2002 the commonwealth games were in manchester the people who started volunteering then who didn't even know squash are still volunteering now that's that's Mm. how People stay with the sport once they're in it. Yeah. Do you have any specific uh, thoughts around? It, it, this is a very far-reaching mm. question, so apologies for putting you on the spot. But what is what is success? Because you've experienced both ends of uh, of success and inverted commas failure, whatever that means, uh, in the game. What what do those things mean to you? Is there such a thing as success or failure? Is it just simply about? Um, because it strikes me you don't really measure it in those terms. It's about no. enjoying the journey, surrounding yourself with good people, not taking yourself too seriously. Uh, so what, what do those things mean to you? Well, I mean, su- success can't be pigeonholed into just your work life because if your work life is successful and your personal life isn't, then then that's not success. That's that's partial failure. Mm. So it's a matter of having, having a... a a role work-wise that, that you find fulfilling. And therefore, when, when you go home in the evening to your partner or family or whatever, you're not spewing about it. You're there actually relaxed because you're relaxed and you can enjoy, enjoy them. Also, making time for them, which is mm. something I can't suggest I've been a success at, but, but you, you know, one, one tries. But it's getting, it's getting the balance right so that you're relaxed and enjoying yourself as, as much as you can mm. with, with whatever your work, whatever your interests, just, just going through life not feeling that you've missed out on things. Mm. And it, I guess if I had to be honest, and I'm speaking purely personally now, if you can take away the motivation for money, and of course in a small sport, in the roles I've had, there is, there is no big bucks being paid. Um, you can focus on 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 enjoying what you have and and anything other than the material because things will work out in the end. Mm. But when you start, if you're like me and you don't know what what you actually want to do in in, in life, see where it takes you. Yeah, you know, I, I I I started as a a gopher in the production de- uh, the publicity department of Rolex watches, and it's because Rolex sponsored. What was the, called the British Amateur closed. Here I am now, forty-three years later, having spent my working life in squash. I hadn't, I had no intention of doing that. I had no plans to, to be into sport. I was, I was just 
an undiscovered talent for football, which has yet to be realised. England managers for, throughout the decades have missed out on a great opportunity with me. <laughs> but, you know, you, you just don't know. And as, as, lo as long as you're, you don't raise your expectations too high, hopefully you'll exceed them. I knew we had talent in the studio with us today. I didn't realise the extent to which we had talent in the studio. Mm. Uh, so multi-gifted multi Andrew Shelley. Uh, final couple of questions. Firstly, very interested to hear about your squash library. Best of luck with that. That sounds fascinating. But how do people find out about you? Because we get lots of emails saying, tell us more about Andrew. It would be much easier if you just said, you know, this is where you find me on social media. <laughs> Given, <laughs> given that you and I are probably still using Abacus rather than calculators, it might be you don't have a social media presence. But any any places, either A, we can find out about you, or B, you can point people in the direction of, for example, um, the game of squash that they might like to find out a little bit more about. I don't maintain a, a social media presence because I don't see the need personally. But, of course, you know, squash is is up there, you've only got to go to the World Squash website or the PSA Tour website or, or any news web website and you can find out about squash. If you happen to be in England, England Squash will, or any other country. Um, you know, I, I've actually just done my last article for Squash Player magazine because I do a column every mm -hmm. time. And it, and it looks back about my, my time. And just doing that and talking to you today, it actually brings back the memories. But I don't, I don't see that anybody else would be interested. I could, I could, I could write a book, and it would probably sell to the three or four members of my family and friends who could be bothered to buy it because there's no interest. Um, so it has to be a personal thing. Mm. And why would anybody want to find out about me? But if they want to offer me a job, that's fine. Well, I'll tell you what I found out today. <laughs> I found out you're very modest. You've got a great voice, you're a physical specimen, and you're a comedian, all rolled into one. <laughs> so, final question, mm. if I may. It's sure. a question we ask all of our guests, and it's kind of a way of summarising everything we've mm -hmm. discussed, and you've shared so openly. Thank you for that today. And that is, um, imagine your son Robin mm -hmm. came to you at the age of 16 and said, Dad, you've achieved all these amazing things for yourself. You're clearly worldly wise and got all these great ideas. Tips on success, how to deal with failure. In a few words, what would you be saying to your son given all that you now know about life? Well, of course, he did come to me when I was when he was 16, but I was out working, so I never actually had this conversation. <laughs> but but um, no, I, th I think, and, and it certainly was the case with, with my two sons. I, I never tried to push them into anything because if you've, if you've got the wherewithal, you, you'll find the right area. It might not be the first time, and, and you'll succeed. You know, I've, I've seen many people... And it even includes squash players whose parents have pushed them into something. And eventually they just move away because they, it wasn't what they wanted and they, they find the niche. So mm. be flexible, but, but also don't worry as much about formal education as life experiences. Because when, you, when you're in business, it's the life experiences that help you rather than the formal education. You get the balance right. Very well said. Thank you so much for sharing today. That was the Sandro Forte podcast. And once again, another amazing guest, that, the, the very amusing but very talented and uh, amazing longevity in the game, Andrew Shelley.
There are many more fantastic guests joining me over the coming weeks, so please make sure you subscribe if you want to pick up some more great tips on success and, of course, overcoming challenges. Remember, you can follow us on social media at Sandro's Podcast. That's Sandro's with an S, same on all channels. And we'd love to hear your stories, ideas, anecdotes, challenges, or whatever it is that motivates you. So please keep the emails coming. Hello at sandrospodcast.com. And if you can, please leave a review on iTunes so we know what you'd like more of in the future. Until next week, see you soon.